If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to John chapter 15. I have uh, had some good feedback from John 15. Um, some, some have come forward and said that they've been very encouraged from um, the, the sermons that, that are coming out of John 15. And that's, that's really surprising to me. Not surprising, but it's just, uh, you know, it's a God thing because these sermons haven't been easy to preach. And I know they haven't been easy to hear. Uh, a lot of these things that we, um, that, that we, when we abide in Christ, that we are to be doing, Sometimes we're not doing them, and, and these sermons are more of a correction than an encouragement. And sometimes correction is encouragement, and I think that falls in line with what's going on here as, I, as we preach through John chapter 15. Uh, but again, I hope that you are blessed. We have two more blessings that we are uh, going to go through today. We've gone through three different ones, but I'll catch you up um, here in a minute after I read the passage, and then we'll get into exegeting the passage so uh, John 15, starting in verse 9, all the way through uh, verse 15. Let's go ahead and read that. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you uh, friends for all that I have heard from my father I have, I have made known to you. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um... I want to remind you as we read our passage that abiding in Christ is the theme. I don't want us to lose sight of that. That's very important as we, as we go through John chapter 15. In fact, when you look at John chapter 15, the, the chapter is structured um, under the parable of the true vine and how the branches, the true branches, that they abide in Christ. And then those who are not branches, they do not abide in Christ. The true branches are pruned. And the other branches are cut off, right? So we have this disparity between the two branches, the ones that abide in him and the ones that don't. But everything is um, basically is, is, is supported by this theme of Jesus being the true vine and God the Father being the vine dresser. And from then on, Jesus continues uh, that theme and, and discusses with the disciples what it means to abide in him. And... In, in verse 5, Christ reveals the dependency that all people have to abide in him because he says, without him or apart from him, we can do nothing. And that is, that, is, that is so true. That's something that we have to recognize. In context, when he says we can do nothing, he is speaking of the spiritual sense. We cannot please the Father. Uh, we, we cannot worship the Father in spirit and truth. We can do nothing without Christ. Um, that's also true from a physical standpoint, because we know that in Christ we have life and we have it to the full. Uh, in him we live, move, and have our being, as Acts 17 says. So there's pl numerous places in Scripture where we know that our physical lives are maintained by Christ, but our spiritual lives are also maintained by Christ. And apart from him, we can do nothing. But when we abide in him, the Bible says here in John chapter 15 that we bear much fruit. 
That means we are fruitful for God's work. We, we do work for the kingdom, and there's, and there's results. Uh, we all like to see results. I don't know, as now, it may not just be males, but I know as, as a male, I love to cut my grass. First of all, because I, I have a riding lawnmower and I don't have to push or do anything else like that. That's great. If it wasn't for the dirt flying around everywhere, I have a cup of sweet tea in, in my riding lawnmower with me, but it gets too dirty. But uh, the reason why I like to cut grass so much is, and I tell my wife, I, I start looking outside and she already knows where I'm going. I'm like, okay, it's time to cut the grass. I love to see a finished product. I love to see results. Because as soon as you finish cutting the grass, it looks so nice. We love to see results. Well, we get results from abiding in Christ. And the results that we get from abiding in Christ is that we bear much fruit. And see, there's no hiding that. If we're not abiding in Christ, there is no, there is no fruit. Because we, we can't produce it ourselves. So it's wonderful to see fruit. And, and when we abide in him, the Bible says we bear much fruit. Uh, because it's the Holy Spirit who's doing his work in us. And what kind of fruit? Well, three things we've already discussed. As we abide in him... Um, you see his love for you. That, that's amazing. We see that in verse 9. That Christ, he tells the disciples that, that he loves them like no one else does. You see, as Christians, we, uh, we see the love God has for us. And that is not really revealed to us until our hearts are changed. Until we have this wonderful relationship with him. And we, re- we recognize the sin in us and, and the grace that he bestows upon us. When we see those two things match up, we're just like floored by his love for us. And, and again, we do not get that unless we abide in Christ, unless we abide in the vine. We also talked about how uh, abiding in the vine, by abiding in the vine, you obey the commandments. We see that in verse 10, where uh, Jesus tells the disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Again, we cannot please God on our own. Uh, we, we, can't, we can't even begin to do that. We don't even understand scripture without, without abiding in Christ. Because without abiding in Christ, we do not have the Holy Spirit to uh, reveal scripture to us. And to convict our hearts when we do not live up to it. So loving him is obeying him. So as we continue to abide in Christ, then we continue to obey his commandments. And you know what? His word, it, it's, it's not a nuisance to us. I remember when I wasn't a Christian and I would, I would read the Bible or I would hear scripture. Number one, I didn't understand it. Number two, it was a nuisance. It was one of those things that you kind of wrinkle your nose at. It, 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 just, it just didn't appeal to me. It wasn't until God changed my heart, I started looking at scripture a different way. It's not a nuisance anymore. It's a way of life. It's, it, it's, it's life itself to, to be able to abide in God's word. And it brings complete joy. And that's the last thing we talked about last week in verse 11. As we abide in him, you come to know and have godly joy. And the reason why we have that godly joy is because we have fullness of joy in us. And I'm not talking about our wonderful, cheerful hearts. You know that. You know that I'm talking about Christ. We have Christ in us. And that's That's what brings us joy. And Christ is our fullness of joy. So we've talked about those three things. Today, we're going to cover the last two. Um, That we, the last two things are the last two blessings that we receive from abiding in him. Number one, we grow to love one another. And number two, um, 
being his friends are being friends with God. Those are the two that we are going to cover in verses 12 uh, through 15. So let's, uh, let's start with verse 12. And uh, let's see what God's word has in store for us today. Uh, actually, verses 12 and 13. Uh, he starts off and says, this is my commandment in verse 12. Now, right away, I think that's interesting language that Jesus uses because he normally does not reference uh, the commandments as his commandments um, per se. And here he's very specific to say, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, when you look at the, the, uh, the language he uses here, it seems to be referring to what Jesus has already said in John chapter 13. If you would back up with me just a little bit. John chapter 13, verse 34. This is where Jesus gives a new commandment. Uh, verse 34, 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, if you were here for that sermon, we, uh, we talked about the fact that this was uh, not really a new commandment, but it was a new revelation of an old commandment. Jesus was referring to the law. He was referring to the Ten Commandments, the second part of the law, which we call the second table of the law. And there, that's the relationship that, that those are the commandments that govern the relationships that we're supposed to have between each other, how we're supposed to treat each other. Why? Because we're image bearers of God. And there needs to be worship of God by the way we treat one another. I'm not sure if anybody or if everybody understood that, that how you treat somebody is, is if you do it according to scripture and according to what we're supposed to do, um, then you are worshiping God by doing that. If you don't, you are sinning against God by doing that. So we have these vertical commandments, the first four between us and God, and then we have these horizontal commandments. That's where love falls in, love for each other. We are to love God first, and then the second part of the law says we are to love uh, each other as ourselves. And those are the two greatest commandments. Well, that's what Jesus is referring to here when he says a new commandment that I give to you. So um, here, when we go back to John chapter 15, uh, I want us to understand that that's why Jesus is saying this is my commandment. Uh, so we know where it comes from. So but when we go back to John chapter 15, verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, when he says that you love one another uh, here, it means the word love means to have a strong non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character. I think that's that's a really great definition and it keeps on. It says, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights and privileges in another person's behalf. That's from the BDAG lexicon that I have in my study. Looked at that and I saw that definition of what it meant to love one another. And I thought that is that is great because that's what true uh, biblical love consists of. To love one another in a sense that means to have a strong affection and a love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character. And then I like the second part of that where it says it's a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. See, to simply love someone in this passage 
uh, in this passage to simply love someone is not what Jesus is commanding. If we go back and read verse 12, he says, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. That is that is the command. You know, if it just stopped at if you loved one another, then we can we can kind of uh, we can love each other the way we wanted to, in a sense. But Jesus is very specific here as to say what true biblical love is. He says, my command to you is that you love one another as I have loved you. That's that's amazing. Look, it's hard enough to love somebody. It, it, it truly is. It takes a lot of work to love somebody. It doesn't matter who it is. It, it takes a lot of work to love somebody. But to love them as Christ loved them, well, it's, it's impossible for us without divine help. We need the Holy Spirit to love each other the way Christ is commanding us to love each other. Without, again, without him, we can't do it. We can do nothing. But that is our calling. Now, before moving on, there are two questions that we have to answer when we read verse 12. Who are we to love and how are we to love them exactly? And the second question has kind of been answered for us, but I, I, I want to talk about, like, how do, we, how do we apply that to our lives? How does it look in an everyday type of setting? Well, first of all, let's answer the first question. Who are we to love? Well, I want you to remember that Jesus is speaking to the disciples here. And this is a farewell address. In fact, chapters 14, 15, and 16 all fall under this address that he's given to the disciples. And so he's he's speaking specifically uh, to them. And as he instructs them... They are instructed to teach the church, or they are commanded to instruct the church. So what Jesus tells them applies to us as well. So when we ask the question, who are we to love? The answer is, as members of Christ, we should have the church, we should have a godly and unique love for each other. That answers the question of, who are we to love in, in the context of this verse? Look, we have our families, we have our friends, we have our coworkers. The love that we have in, in any of those situations and in any of those relationships is completely different than the love that we are to have within his church. Completely different. The love that we have between one another It surpasses anything in this physical world. Why? Because it is spiritual in nature. It is spiritual in nature and it transcends time. It transcends time. It transcends everything we know because the love that we have for one another, it's it's eternal. Why? Because the God that we serve is eternal. I'm telling you, if you have any issues with anybody here in the church or anybody from the past who has passed away, if you have any issues, at some point you need to correct those issues because you're going to be in eternity with them. You're going to need to get along with them, right? As I said before, it transcends time. 
So the love that we have for each other needs to be a different kind of love. Just as Christ was speaking to the disciples and saying, look, you need to love one another as I have loved you. See, that same command applies to us as well. We need to love one another as Christ has loved us. Now, again, when you when you put that on it, it it changes everything because we may think, well, I I do a pretty good job of getting along with people. That's what we may think. I'm always pleasant to people. I don't argue with anybody. I don't think ill of anybody. Now, you may be thinking those things, but I I hope that the spirit really revealed to you where your issues are in loving because we can all love more. We can all love better. So who are we to love? We are to love each other. Secondly, how are we to love them? So we know who we are to love. We are to love members of the church. We who are many are one body. We need to love each other. How are we to love them? Well, scripture just says we are to love one another as Christ has loved the church. But here's the question. How do we express that? How do we express? How is that expressed? What, is, what does that look like? Well, we can find out when we look at love or when we look at the love that Christ lavished upon us. When we go back in scripture and we look at what he's done for us, then we can see how that's supposed to be played out in our everyday lives. So we're going to do a little bit of bouncing around just so you can get a full measure of of, of how Christ loved us. Uh, John chapter 10. Let's turn there. And if you're if you're a, a, a Bible drill person, you can find these real quick, too, while we're jumping at John chapter 10. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to just hold those, because we're going to jump to those as soon as we're done with John chapter 10. John 10, Romans 5, and Ephesians 2. So John 10, uh, verses 14 through 18. This is where Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. That's us. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Amen. For this reason, the Father loves me because, listen to this, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Now, that first verse is extremely powerful. To to give up everything on another person's behalf, that's exactly what Christ has done for us. Some may see Christ as a victim. He was a sacrifice. He was no victim. Pay attention to the language in this in this chapter, in this verse that we just read. He says, no one takes it from me. And he showed that, too, whenever the prisoners came, uh, the, the, the guards came to get him as a prisoner. They said, where is he? Where is Christ? And he says, basically right here. And they all fell back. And that was to show that you're not taking my life. I'm giving it up. 
He gave up his life for us. No one takes it from him. Now think about that as the love that we should have for one another. How does that look? Pretty powerful. Let's go to Romans chapter, Romans chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. Now we're listening to the Apostle Paul as he writes. Um, he says here, 6 through 8, For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's a very important word there in that, in that sentence. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So not only did God or did Christ, the son of God, give his life up for us. But he gave it up for us who did not deserve it. He was a sacrifice for those who were ungodly. Who were yet sinners. We didn't do something good for him to go ahead and, and give his life for us. We did the exact opposite. And yet, in his perfect love, he gave his life for us. Now, what does that teach us about how we're supposed to love one another? And then let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to read to you verses 1 through 5. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And it says here, and you were dead and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That, that was us before we were in Christ. We were following the devil. We were following his ways. We were part of the, the kingdom of, of, of darkness. Now look at verse 3. He, he continues on. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, when you start to read, and, and there are so many more other verses when you start to read about God's love for us and what Christ did for us, then you start to understand that your love, it, 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 does, not, it, it does not compute to what God has given us. It does not match his level. We need to be sanctified in it. Love is one of those areas where we just need to grow as God's people. All of us do. 
from the pastors down to the congregation. We all need to grow in God's love. Seeing how we are to love one another in scripture, we can go back to John 15 now. Seeing how we are to love one another, it's vital that we recognize two things that are, that are always present when the Bible talks about Jesus' love for us. And we cannot miss these two things. We must understand that love is both an emotion and an act. You cannot express love rightly, adequately, unless both are present. You can't just say, I love that person and not, not act on it. it. You can't do that. That is not love. And you can't just do the act without having, having the right emotion behind it, without having affection behind it. Love requires both. It requires emotion and act. It's an emotion, why? Because it's a strong affection. Love is a very strong affection. And it shows itself in kindness and in care. That's why it's both an emotion and an act. It's an, it's an emotion because it's a strong affection. And it's an act because it must be expressed in kindness and care. And Jesus gives us the perfect example of that. Not only by the way he lived, but also here in John chapter 15, verse 13. After he tells the disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says this in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There it is. Both an emotion and an act. The Son of God says that he loves us as his friends, and he showed it by laying down his life for us. See, in verse 13, we see the reality of the way we are to love one another. Listen to this. We were enemies of Christ. The passages that we just read, they say that. We were enemies of Christ, yet he died for us. We are responsible for his death. When you see a cross, you need to remember, you put Christ there. I put Christ there. We all put Christ there. So we are responsible for his death, yet he loves us. We are all stubborn children. Every single one of us. We are all stubborn children, children of God. And parents, give me an amen. You know how stubborn children are. It is difficult to deal with them. But you are that way to God. We are all stubborn children, yet he is patient with us. We are all prideful towards him. We prove that every single day. When we refuse to go to him in prayer, when we try to do everything ourselves, when we think we have a great idea, when we do not trust him, that is our pride coming through. We are all prideful children. And yet, 
when we look at what Christ has done for us, we see how merciful he is towards us. See, using Jesus as our example of love, I don't know about you, but it makes me ask this question. How have I failed in loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? How have I failed? Because when I, when I see that, I know I failed in many ways. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Lord, help us to grow in love because we all need it. See, to love each other perfectly, we know, we know it's not possible on this side of heaven. We know that. We know that to love each other perfectly, we cannot do that because of sin. But we do not just stand idly by and, and just, just sit there and feel sorry for ourselves. We, as a church, as a member of the body of Christ, we should be growing in love. We should be growing. And the reason why we are growing is because we are connected to the vine. We are abiding in him. Remember what I said about that. When you go back and look at the parable, it's not like you're abiding in him for a little bit and then you, you get off of the vine and then you get back on and you get off. It's, I'm not talking about that. Either you're in him or you're not. Either you're saved or you're not. Either you're abiding in him and bearing much fruit or you are not abiding in him and you are bearing no fruit because you are dead in your sins. And we, we have to understand that sanctification is not, is not just, okay, well, we're going to put it on autopilot and God's going to do all the work in us and then we're just going to, it's just automatically going to happen. That, that's not the way sanctification works. God gets the credit, but we have to do a lot of the work, too. It is God working in us, which causes us to work as well. What are we doing to grow in love? Are we walking in it every single day? Are we praying about it? Are, are, are we recognizing our own sin not to love our brother and sister as we should? These are all things that, that we have to ask ourselves. We should all be growing in love. Look at, um, let's go back to Ephesians. I want to look at Ephesians 5. This is a very important passage when you talk about uh, growing in love and, and, and also following Christ. Ephesians 5, I want to read to you verses 1 through 2. Paul says there, he says, Therefore be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, to be an imitator of God, it means to model his ways. His love, if we're going to model our, our ways after his ways, his love was sacrificial. His love was forgiving. His love was patient. His love was merciful. And his love was truthful. As we look at those things, sacrificial, forgiving, patient, merciful, 
truthful, are you following that kind of love? Or have you set up a different standard in your life to follow? Now, think about how those things pertain to your relationships in your life. How does being, um, having a sacrificial love, being forgiving, uh, being patient, being merciful, being truthful, how does that pertain to the people that you have relationships with in your life? Now, this is where we have to really start getting the gears going and start thinking, because I'm not talking about just people here. You have Christians who are your parents, perhaps. You have Christians who are your siblings, perhaps. Your uncles, your aunts, grandparents, cousins. You have Christians, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that work with you. We have them everywhere. Your neighbors who may be Christians. Now, notice I'm speaking about Christians here because this is what it's directed towards. We are to, this is a love that we are to have between one another. Don't worry, God covers, he, he covered the, uh, the loss in his teachings because he even said you to love your enemies. So there is a love that we have for them. And yeah, we reach out to them. But right now I'm speaking about our relationships that we have between our brothers and sisters in Christ. How have we failed to love each and every one of those people in our lives? Have we reached out? Have we helped? Have we let them know that we care? Have we cared enough for them to call out sin? And I'm not saying to call it out all dramatically, but have you... Have you cared to interfere and say, brother, sister, this is what I see and I'm concerned about that? Have we done those things? Of course not. We, we haven't done those things perfectly. That's why I say we need to recognize where we have failed to love one another. We need to pray to God to help us to grow and we need to get to work. As we look what we should follow or who we should follow, whatever, if, if, if Christ is not your standard of love, if he's not, you need to destroy that, whatever it is. You need to destroy that. Get rid of that idol. Look at Christ as your model of love, and you need to follow after him. He is the only one worth seeking after when it comes to anything. So the second thing that he brings up in verses 14 and 15 is that <clears throat> as we abide in him, it causes us to be his friends. And by the way, that's not a process that is immediate. When we are saved by grace, when we are saved by the blood of Christ, we immediately become friends of God. But just like when I spoke about um, joy, sometimes we, all, we immediately have fullness of joy in, in, in us when we become Christians as well. But sometimes we need to, it takes some time to realize that we have this fullness of joy. In the same way with our friendship with the Lord, we need to realize sometimes, sometimes it takes some realization, it takes some time to see that we are his friends. 
Jesus says that he lays down his life for his friends. Conversely, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. He said that in verse 15. Now, excuse me, when we see the word servant, it's referring to a bondservant or to a slave. Now, the slave, it's not the same thing that what comes to our mind here in America the, the, the bondservant or the slave was one who worked to pay off a debt. So that's, that's the term that Jesus is using when he says servant. I no longer call you servants, but, but now friends. Now that's pretty significant because we have to understand what exactly Jesus meant here. When he's speaking to the disciples and also when he's speaking to the church, he says we are no longer servant. In other words, he is, he is saying we are no longer working to pay a debt off. Why? Because Jesus laid down his life for our debt, and he paid it in full. So a bondservant would be someone who would come in in those days and live with you. And if they owed you a certain amount of money, well, they would work for it. So they live with you by serving you. And you see the the illustration here of, of, of us being servants. We're trying to pay off our debt. Well, that's a debt we could never pay off. Because as we're working, we're accumulating debt. And and we would always be there forever paying this off and paying this off and paying this off. By the way, those who are judged for their sins, that's why they will spend eternity under God's wrath. They will never pay it off. That's exactly what hell is. It's an eternity paying for the sins that you have committed. The torment, the wrath of God is, is never done and it's never quenched. It goes on and on and on. See, that's a picture of a bondservant. But Jesus is saying, no, you're no longer servants. You're no longer paying off a debt. I I cleared it for you. Now you you live with God, but you're not, you don't have to pay off this debt. Now you're friends with God. What does that mean that we are friends with God? Well, you know what? This is what it means. It means that, yes, we are still serving God. We are still working for God. But it's not to pay off a debt. It's to worship and honor him. That's why we are doing it. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing. See, being friends with God is a wonderful blessing that is given to us in Christ. Because through Christ, you and I, as Christians, we experience a covenant relationship with God. He guides us. He provides for us. He protects us. We serve him and we bring him glory. That is the, as far as you look at the arrangement of the covenant, that is it. When you, when you remove everything and get down to the bare bones, he promises to guide, provide, and protect We must, he commands us to serve and to bring him glory. There is no higher honor for us than to be called a friend of God. It doesn't matter what you've ever, what you will ever achieve in this life, there will be no higher honor. And if you look carefully, our friendship with God, it's anchored in his love for us. It's anchored in our obedience to him. It's anchored in his joy Uh, in us and it's anchored in our love for the church see 
By these things we are recognized as God's friends. We are friends with God, and listen to this, nothing can separate us from him. Here recently, I've been blessed with reconnecting with some friends from a long time ago. 20 years ago. Even, I mean, these are guys that I grew up with, uh, you know, I mean, a couple of them, one of them for sure, we shared a crib together. That's how, that's how far we go back. The others, through elementary and junior high, I, I moved out of Quero uh, right before I got to high school, and pretty much since then, we've seen each other here or there, but it, it just hasn't been the relationship that we had at one time before. And here we've reconnected, we've gotten together, we've had a great time, we've talked about the past and how we're doing now, it's wonderful to see them. But one thing I I notice is that my friendship with them, it's wonderful to reconnect, but we lost so much time in all those years that we were not together. We all kind of went our separate ways, kind of did our own thing, and it's wonderful that God has brought us back together. We're trying to make the most of that opportunity. But listen, Our friendship with God, we don't ever have to worry about being separated. Because we talked about how his love, we cannot be separated from that. We talked about his joy, we cannot be separated from that. Well, his friendship, we cannot be separated from that either. To be called a friend of God is a wonderful and beautiful thing. And the longer you abide in him the more you realize that and the more you realize what a wonderful friend God is. So to conclude everything, knowing his love, obeying his commandments, having fullness of joy, loving his church and being his friend, they all come from abiding in him. If we are abiding in Christ, and I listen to me very carefully, then we are walking in these things. And when I say walking in these things, that means we are making these things a constant practice in our lives. And, and, and so when we are abiding in him, then we are walking in these things. If we are not walking in these things, then we are not abiding in Christ. It's a sad state of affairs what goes on in churches today. And when I say churches, I mean all of us. There are people who come and, 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 and for some reason or another, they think they have eternal life. But there is no fruit. There is no change. Maybe they attended church just for a little bit. Maybe they felt good about what the word said. But the seed that was planted in them, did it really take hold? Did it really start to grow? Did it start to bear fruit? What has time said about their confession of faith? That happens all the time. And I'm not not just talking about people who have a problem with with the pastor or with a member and they leave that church and go to another church and yet they're still serving there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who completely just leave God altogether in a sense. They walk around confident that they are friends with God. 
Why? Because at some point they heard, once you're saved, you're always saved, you're, really, you're good to go. You got your membership card, okay, just hold that with you, because whenever you die, you're going to have to present this to God, and then he'll let you in. Man, it doesn't work that way. Either we are abiding in the vine, or we're not. It's, it's, it's really simple. Either Jesus Christ is Lord, or he is not your Lord. You have another Lord. See, to walk in these things, as I said before, is to do them consistently as an act of worship. Now, do I mean that we are to do these things perfectly? You know the answer to that already. But when we fail to do these things, when we fail to obey God, when we fail to honor God as he is, we need to repent. There needs to be repentance. And then there needs to be continual walk, a continual walk in what he has commanded us to do. See, the difference between us and the unbeliever when it comes to sanctification in these things and when it comes to seeing our faults and seeing our sin, the, the difference between us is repentance. The believer repents, the unbeliever does not. The believer, he, he, after he repents, he walks in, 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 in faithfulness to God and in, in obedience. The unbeliever, he continues to walk in disbelief, in disbelief and disobedience. And that is not a true picture of what a Christian is. I want to finish off with one more reading for you. And just because it, this reading, this passage is so great. And it's from First uh, John chapter 2. I, I, there's no way I can end this sermon better than what is written here. So I just decided to go with just reading this and then we're going to pray. First uh, John chapter 2. And uh, verses 1 through 6. says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, see how John continues this theme, even as he writes uh, his epistles. Verse four, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments. See, John's harsher than I am. He says he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected that's what it means to be sanctified that we grow in these things that God has commanded us to do and eventually it's perfected in Christ when we are with him by this we may know that we are in him verse 6 whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked Praise the Lord. Let's pray.